the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Bedtime. Kids hate bedtime, don't they? Please, five more minutes. Us grown-ups, we love bedtime. <laughs> don't you just love bedtime? Sometimes after a hard day and your bones are aching and your joints are sore and your muscles are tired and you've worked hard and you put your head on the pillow and you just smile. You're like, thank you, Jesus, for my pillow. This is wonderful. But kids, they hate bedtime. I'm not tired. I don't want to go to bed. No, please. And then what's fascinating to me is that happens to be the moment out of the 24 hours in the day that now there's just a curiosity about all kinds of things in the universe. Anthropology, theology, all kinds of economics and science. I have questions, Dad, and they've caught me a few times because I'm like not just Dad, but like a little bit of Pastor Dad, and so they know that I like to talk about God and the Bible. So it's like bedtime. But Dad, I have questions about my faith. Oh, okay, let's talk and we'll see. That's like, that's pretty clever. That's pretty clever. They've got me once or twice with that one. And then all of a sudden, again, out of all the 24 hours in the day, suddenly now their anatomy has all kinds of pains in all kinds of places. My toe hurts. My elbow hurts. My head hurts. My nose. My nose is so sore. And then you mix that with the questions. And then, of course, I'm starving. I'm starving to death. I'm going, if I don't, I might not make it. I might, you might walk in and I'll be dead. I just won't be there anymore because you didn't feel, I'm so thirsty. And so you put all this stuff together. My leg hurts. My nose hurts. My nose hurts. Why do I have a belly button? And all those questions. That's just my wife, Kelly. It's really bad. I don't want to go to bed. And then just to show you how lame Kelly and I are, <laughs> this is so bad. We, it was a few years ago. Uh, it was uh, New Year's Eve, and we looked at each other like, there's no way we're going to make it. There's no way we're going to do midnight. Not a chance. We are going to be out cold. But the kids, we couldn't get away with this now, but they were just several years younger. They knew it was a special night and that they could stay up late and it was going to be the countdown. And so they didn't know that we had sneaky ninja parenting skills. And so we got a YouTube video on the TV from last year, and at 9 o'clock, we were like, 10, 9, 8, and we had the little brr, brr, and the crackers and the poppers, and they were so happy. We were like, genius, drop the mic, parenting skills right there. Take notes if you like. But we all know that moment. And actually, it's true. Sometimes, parents just know best. They just do. Because kids are kids, and sometimes it's right to say, it's time to go to bed. Because we know that they need that, and if they don't go to bed, here's what's going to happen. They're going to get overtired, they're going to get emotional, they're going to start getting upset, there's going to be tears, there's going to be taking lumps out of siblings, they're going to go at each other, there's going to be a bit of fighting, and it's going to be all that stuff, because we know what they just need to do is they need to get a little bit of rest. Simply put, there are times where we know what is best for our children. We know that they need to get some sleep and some rest. So let me read the scripture again, and I'm going to deliberately emphasize a piece of this. I hope you catch it. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down. It's green pastures. He restores my soul. You see, there is a father who knows best. There is a parent who watches over you. And he sees when you, grown up you, become tired and distracted and emotional and fussy and upset and tears come and you start bickering and you start fighting. You do. And he knows what you need better than you know what you need. It's time to go to bed. You need some rest. It's the right thing. And yet we balk and we cry and we kick and we throw our little temper tantrums and with our sleepy eyes we wipe them and we yawn and we protest. We're not tired. Please, can we stay up later? No, I'm going to, this is the psalmist, I'm going to make you lie down. I know what's best for you and you need to rest. I know what needs to happen I need to restore you. I need to restore your soul. Confession. I am a hurried person. I think I came out of the womb in a hurry. I always do things fast. I do jobs fast. I get, okay, like the dishes, the kitchen. I just, my brain goes, right, come on, let's do it. And I go, let's get the kitchen done. And I I go bananas on it. Um, my car, sometimes I get to the speed limit very fast. And then I try to stay at the speed limit. I go, and I, I talk fast. I talk fast when I preach and I'm like, slow down. I, I can't, well, even when I'm just in conversations with people, I speak quickly. I have so many memories of my parents telling me as a child, as a teenager, even as a young man, Alan, you need to slow down. Not only am I a hurried person, but I can quickly and easily fall into the trap of what I would simply call stimulus. I look for that. I don't like to be doing nothing. Give me an honest hands up if you're online right now. You can put it in the side chat if you're in Alma. Give me a hands up. How many of you would say, honestly, you are probably somewhat addicted to your phone? How many of us would say someone addicted to even just TV? Like at the end of the night, it's like, I deserve to sit down and... Yeah, we know that about all of us. How many of you would say that you honestly would say, I have a difficult time just sitting down and doing nothing. I actually wouldn't really know what to do with the quiet. I don't even know if I'd like that. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. I wouldn't know what to do with the inactivity. Around here... Our mission statement is to lead people into a focused life with Jesus Christ. And we take that very, very seriously. In that, we believe that God works for, in, in all things for the good of those who love him. And what I mean by that is, what does God do when difficulty comes our way? This series so far has been really, what is your response and what is your reaction to COVID? How did you respond to that? What has it done to you? Have you learned some lessons? Has God spoken to you? And so difficulty comes our way, a pandemic comes your way. What does God do? He says, I'm going to leverage that. 
I'm going to take what seems to you to be something painful or fearful or an obstacle or a distraction or a delay or just a pain in the neck thing for you in your life. And he says, I'm going to sift through that and I'm going to mine through that to extract something wonderful for your good and for my glory. Actually for your benefit. Now, our definition of for our benefit usually revolves around things that we think make me happy. Things that I want and need in my life. That's usually our definition of benefit, for my benefit. Will it make me happy? Good, then it's for my benefit. That's not God's definition of for your benefit. He will take these things that are angst and a pain in the neck for you, and he said, I'm going to leverage them for my glory and for your benefit, and this is the definition of for your benefit. I'm going to take something that you dislike and is painful for you, an obstacle and a hindrance for you, and I'm going to leverage it and turn it so that I transform you into my son, Jesus Christ. That is for your greatest benefit. It's much better than what you think is going to make you happy. So if you're anything like me, pre-COVID-19, you're probably, you know, busy and doing your thing and pretty occupied and a lot of stimulus, on the move, moving quickly, moving in a hurried fashion, and then you found yourself all of a sudden walking around your house looking at four walls. You know what that's called, don't you? It's bedtime. I don't want to go to bed. I like the stimulus. I like to be on the move. I like to get things done. No, no, no. It's time for you to lie down. I'm going to make you lie down in green pastures. I'm going to leverage this to quiet your soul because I need to do some restoring in you. It's the kind of restoring work that if it was left to you, it would never, ever, ever happen. You just wouldn't do it. Left to yourself and left to your own devices, you'd be happy and content to just remain stimulus input all the time, and I've got things to do. And I hope you realized that. I hope you actually caught that. You may not have, but I hope you did. I hope you came face to face with a slower, quieter pace of life, and I hope it shocked you. And I hope that you threw a tantrum and said, I don't like this. And therefore, you probably said, Okay, now I've been faced with quietness and nothing to do, or certainly less to do, and a slower pace. And so here's what we do. We said, well, now I'm going to go online, and I'm going to learn a new language. I'm going to watch every TED Talk that ever existed. I'm going to watch Netflix. I'm going to Netflix my brain into oblivion. I'm going to take up yoga, and then appropriately so give up yoga, because that seems very painful to me. I'm going to do all these things because the stimulus was taken away. Therefore, I'm going to find a way to put it back in my life, even if I'm forced to sit around my house. And you enter now where things are certainly less than they were at the beginning of the pandemic. And now, is it possible that what you and I do is we just say, great, let's go back and enter into the rat race once again. Week one of this series was a reaction and response to COVID that looked particularly at isolation. And what did that do to you? Week number two of this series, we talked about the crutches that we went around in life, thinking these are the things that I need. COVID stripped them away from us. What did that do to you? And again, much like what I've just, how I've just framed this, now that some restrictions are gone and we're moving back into society and a little bit more like normal, will we just pick up those crutches again and go back to that way? Next week, can I ask for your prayers? Because we're going to talk about racism. And it's a serious subject. I promise you this. 
I will not talk politics because I'm not a politician and I would make a terrible politician. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach from God's Word. But I ask for your prayers because I'm sure all of us are aware that that particular subject matter is ripe with the bait of offense. Well, that's certainly not what we're trying to do here. Today, what I want to talk to you about is a response to COVID when it comes to this thing called rest. You see, God has set up a rhythm of rest in your life, and he's called you to it. And for me, COVID underscored that for me. I kind of came face to face with this slamming on of the brakes. Your father, who knows what's best for you, actually set up a rhythm of rest for your soul. And I'm wondering if you would be smart enough to listen to him, that he would catch your attention, even today, even right now, as we preach the Word of God, that you would be smart enough to realize that your father is smarter than you. And you would see your father calling you to lie down in green pastures. But why, Dad? I don't want to go to bed. I'm not tired. And I'll tell you why. It is this. It is the discipline of slowing down sufficiently so that the will and the presence of God will fill your life. And you can actually miss that. It is the discipline of slowing down sufficiently so that the will and the presence of God will fill your life. And if you don't slow down, you will miss it. The will and the presence of God for your life. Our staff team here several months ago, we got a great team of guys and girls, and we read a Christian book together by an author, if I'm pronouncing his name right, I think it was Scazzaro or something like that. And in one of his chapters, he talks about this exact thing, this idea of being called to rest by our Father. And that's kind of, this particular author, he's written a bunch of books, and he kind of goes there a lot, this idea of being with the Father, abiding with God, resting with God. Uh, that's kind of a, a particular pet subject for him. And in the chapter, he actually wrote down that he was becoming incredibly frustrated. And he kind of went up to a kind of a trusted friend, and he was angry. And his friend was like, what is wrong with you? He said, I don't get it. He says, I've written books about this, multiple books about this. I am asked to go to churches as a guest speaker. I've spoken at big conferences. And everywhere I go where I talk about being with God and abiding with the Father and resting and cultivating a heart of quietness and, and being able to connect with your Father. He says, everywhere I go, every book I write, every conference, people all look at me and they go, yes, you're right. I ought to do that. And he says, I'm frustrated and I'm angry because after all these years, it just seems like nobody does it. They agree, but they won't act on it. And I'm ticked about it. And his trusted friend gave him this response, very penetrating. And give it a few seconds to kind of to hit you. He said this to him. You see, if they stop, they'll die. They're terrified. And Scazzaro, the author, he says, what, what do you mean? What do you mean if they stop, they'll die, they're terrified? That doesn't make any sense. What are you getting at? He says, you see, when you stop, it will reveal emptiness. You are inviting people into practices that may well obliterate their sense of self, who I am. You see, a person's self-understanding is so often rooted and dependent upon one thing, 
performance. I gotta crank it out. Productivity. Your sense of self, your understanding of yourself is rooted in what I get done, what I accomplish, how I perform in life, how I produce. Can you see the magnitude of that for people? Can you see the magnitude of that for you? So I'm going to tell you something right now that you probably don't want to hear. The reason you cannot stop, the reason why you have surrounded yourself with such busyness that oftentimes we actually brag about, such noise, such stimulus that we need to constantly have in our life, and such productivity is far deeper than you want to consider. And it is this, you have lost your perspective on eternity. You distract yourself from the gaping jaws of death by engaging in ceaseless activity and amusement. I must be entertained all the time. And one day, you will stand before God, but you will do so alone. You will not bring your phone with you. You will not bring your friend with you. You won't bring your pastor with you or your church with you. This is the call. Alone, you will stand before God. Alone, he has called you to obey his voice. Not somebody else's consideration, just you. Alone, you will take up your cross and you will struggle and you will pray and you will find joy and you will find difficulties and you will follow him and you will die and you will give an account for your life. And you cannot avoid yourself forever. The practice of being still is a lost art. We're terrified of stopping and resting with him. Yet, it is in that stillness that you will find and you will experience the certainty of his loving presence, which will be the very thing that actually helps you get through all of the future pandemics for your life. All of the storms, no matter what they look like. During times of severe testing, like the last few months, even the best theology will fail us if it is not accompanied by an experiential knowledge of the love of the Father in your life. Otherwise, it just becomes stuff that you know. Busyness always wars against an awareness of the presence of God. And if we do not expand our awareness of the presence of God, and we will never expand our awareness of the presence of God through working and producing and striving and toiling and performing. And it seems so foreign because none of us were raised this way. I would say 99% of the people in this room were raised in this way. Roll up your sleeves, get to work, make it happen. No free lunches. Have a good work ethic. And I'm certainly not advocating laziness. But we do not gain an additional or increased awareness of the presence of a God in our lives through striving and producing and working. It seems counterintuitive, but we actually expand our awareness of God through rest. Dallas Willard put it like this. You must ruthlessly, look at that language. <clears throat> you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing a total contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. But we dare not rest. We dare not be still. We dare not come face to face with quiet or silence. Why? 
Uh, because fear and shame are lurking beneath the surface of our lives. God institutes a rhythm of rest in your life because we feel a deep sense of shame. We look at our lives and we say, I am fundamentally flawed. I am unworthy. I am defective. So what do we do when we feel flawed and defective and unworthy? Well, we go back to the message that we've received all of our lives. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and I'm going to work harder. I'm going to perform and I'm going to produce. Because maybe if I can accomplish this or I can get over the next hill at work or I can accumulate or I can have some kind of standing and I can perform in that way, well then maybe I can build myself into somebody that's a little less shameful. Guilt points out the mistake that you made. And that's no fun, is it? Shame is far worse than guilt. Because shame will say, not only are you guilty of doing it, but you're a fraud for doing it in the first place. And God says, really? Is that how you're thinking? Is that how you're operating in life? Okay. Come to me and rest. Take away the stimulus. Take away the hurried ceaseless activity, and I want you to just be with your Father, where you do not accomplish, where you're not constantly amused and distracted and in get-it-done mode. What is God doing? What is He accomplishing in that moment? You see, the reason why rest is so terrifying, the reason why God wants us to be still is because in the doing nothing, it leaves us feeling vulnerable. We're afraid of what we might find inside of us if we actually stop for a minute. Overworking hides all of those ideas, all of those thoughts, all of those inadequacies and worthlessness. Imagine, imagine, imagine doing nothing and experiencing the love of God in your life. We're not raised that way. Can I say to you, if you sat there for the rest of your life and you never did another thing, you accomplished nothing else, you would never stop experiencing the love of God being poured out over you. Let me read to you this scripture. Psalm 131. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart. Look at this imagery. Like a baby content in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. What a unique scripture. God is calling you to that. I don't want to sleep. I don't want to go to bed. No. I want you to just come and sit on my lap. I just want you to rest in my arms. I want you to... Have you ever seen a child? Just held by their mother or their father. Just happy to be there. Just content. Not fussing. Not clamoring. Not screaming. Just, there's nowhere else I would rather be. This is the image that God is giving you for your life. The author I mentioned earlier, Scazzaro, 
He has a to-do list for you. And we think, great, stuff to do, wonderful. It's not what you think. It's a to-do list for your rest. What, what's that about? This is how he puts it. Four things. Number one, stop. Number two, rest. Number three, delight. And number four, contemplate. I want you to stop working. I want you to enjoy some rest. I want you to practice delight. I want you to contemplate God. So I've been trying to do this. I've been taking this out for a test drive. And I've done not so bad on a few days. And I've done terrible on other days. I've kind of hit or miss, but I'm going to aim at this thing. And I find myself on uh, my day of rest, my day off, where I'm not laboring. And here's what happens. Oh, there's an email. I I mean, it just take me two seconds. I'm just going to pop on there, right? I mean, let's keep the inbox managed, right? Because there's just so much. And I'll just take it. It won't take me two minutes. I can get back to that person. They'll have their answer. Oh, it's going to be well. They don't have to wait. I'm just, and God goes, hey, Alan, stop working. It can wait. Stop it. But it's going to take me two seconds. I know exactly what, I, I know how what to say. It would really help them. Stop. In my house, I got three kiddos. I feel like I walk around in constant pickup mode. Anyone give me an amen on that? Right? It's just this incessant, okay, well, I'll just wipe that down and clean that up and pick this up. And then, and then as well, particularly on a day off where you're like, I'm going to rest, it's like, well, there's a job to do in the house, like a more of a project thing, and I need to replace that and fix that and get to that. Well, hang on a second. God says, I want you to actually enjoy some rest. I want you to enjoy some rest. And then, so what I've been trying to do is I've been then saying, okay, I'm going to stop working. I'm going to enjoy resting. And now I'm going to actually try to start delighting in things. So I've actually found myself going around, and I know this sounds silly, but like tasting and looking and seeing and hearing and smelling and all of that, and just trying to enjoy things. Anyone here like food? Like, make some great food, like amazing food, and then just, just enjoy it. Like, delight in it. I think God's like, go for it. Enjoy that in your life. We see in Genesis, God is working, right? Incredible creativity and ingenious intellect just being poured out in all of creation as it comes to bear. And at the end of every, every day, what does it say he's, he's doing? He's delighting. He says, it is good. He says, he sits back for a minute and he goes, ah, that's great. I think, it's, a, I think it's kind of beaming. I think there's a smile on his face. We get a little taste to see of what God is doing. And he calls you to do the same thing. And I think an extension of that delight is to actually contemplate God. And so now I find myself not only stopping working and actually enjoying resting and then actually delighting in things, but then I find myself looking for God and his fingerprints in all of that. And then I just go, oh my goodness, look at the goodness of God. Thank you, Lord. Anyone want to do that? It doesn't sound so bad, does it? In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, it's a whole lot better than preoccupied, stimulus, over-the-top, work, work, perform. Give it a try. And the lockdown forced my hand with this. I didn't know I was so bad at resting. I didn't know I needed to grow in this, and I think you do too. So let me read it again. 
the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. God literally wants you to cultivate a quiet heart. A weaned child, content, as a regular part of your life. And the Pharisees, in, particularly in the New Testament, we get to the Gospels, we see God's beautiful command of rest, and they just come in, and they just sabotaged it. I mean, they just destroyed it. They're like, okay, God made this command. We're just going to fill it with this litany of legalistic, perfectionistic rules. And it, we're going to find that that actual rest is actually going to become a burden for everyone to carry. And they just wrecked it. And I can just say to you, don't do that. That's not what it's supposed to be at all. Look at Deuteronomy 5. He says, observe the Sabbath, keep it holy. Do you remember when you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there? So it was about 400 years that the Israelites worked as slaves in Egypt. So their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, and their great-great-grandparents at a minimum knew only one thing every day of the week, 365 days of the year, perform, work, slavery. That is why you exist. They never stopped. They never rested. They never delighted. They never got to contemplate. It was a power that it was set in opposition to God. In fact, Pharaoh, what did he say about himself? I am a God. And then he leverages slavery over a nation. Paul in the New Testament, he looks at this and he refers to it as principalities and powers of evil, spiritual forces of evil in opposition to God. That's what that life was. And God, we see, he supernaturally intervenes. This evil power of slavery and abuse and God's people are set free. And for the first time in generations, their worth, catch this church, their worth is no longer based on what they do, on what they accomplish, on how they perform and on what they produce. Their worth is now based on their identity. They are sons and daughters of the living God. And I'm telling you right now, there are so many of us in here and you have this little pharaoh in your head and he is cracking the whip, making you work. And you need to be set free from that. God is sovereign over everything that opposes him. Every principality, every power, every evil spiritual force. God is sovereign over these things. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And when you practice rest, when you come into Sabbath delight, what you're doing is you are proclaiming Jesus Christ that he defeated every spiritual force of evil at the cross. And when you stop and you rest and you delight and you contemplate, you are affirming what is true of you, that you are of infinite worth, not because of what you can accomplish and do and perform and produce, but because of who you are, a son and daughter of the living God. And when you finally hush and rest, like a content, weaned child. You will find that your father is not in a rush. You are, but he's not in a hurry. And you will find in that moment that he's actually speaking a lot. That he has things that he wants to say to you and reveal to you. And you will never discover them until you find that place of rest.
And then you can enter into God's work from that place of rest. Author by the name of Sam, Samuel Lamb he comments on a very unique scripture in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles. It's about Jeremiah. This is exactly the message of God that Jeremiah had preached. The desolate land put to an extended Sabbath rest, a 70-year Sabbath rest. Why? Making up for all the unkept Sabbaths. You see, the people of God, Israel, they were like a bunch of little kids who wouldn't go to bed. They refused to obey God, and they refused to rest. And in the Scripture, it almost appears as though God is looking for some kind of compensation, that this loss of rest had to be accounted for. Can I say to you, if we will not rest, we are incurring a deficit, and God Himself will simply come eventually, and He will just stop you. I don't know how, but He will do that. And sometimes it's through a pandemic, or a crisis, or a health issue, or an emergency. He will choose whatever He chooses, whatever He likes, because He is God, and He wants to get your attention in this. Now, I am not saying for one moment that God brought COVID-19 just to slam on the brakes for your life. Not at all. I am saying this, that in His sovereignty, He will leverage it for His glory and for your benefit. I've seen this. God stopping people who repeatedly violate the limits that He puts in place and they disregard His call for you to come and to be with Him and to abide and to rest with Him. And if you refuse to stop and rest and delight and contemplate sooner or later, one day you will find yourself on the flat of your back, be it emotionally or physically or spiritually. And in that vulnerable place, God will say, do I have your attention now? I've come to restore your soul. It's a kind thing he wants to do. I'm about to close up in just a second, and we'll do our dismissal on the screens this week, you know, the row by row. But here's what I want to do just before we head off in different directions. Um, I want you to ask yourself a few questions. I'm going to throw an image up on the screen in just a moment. And when you see it, I want you to just ask yourself a few questions. God, you know, am I signing up for stuff and I don't even talk to you about it? Am I running around? Have I just re-entered the rat race? Is that what I've done? Am I listening to you at all? Is this pace that I'm on, is it okay? Am I, am I coming to be with you enough, regularly, systemically in your life? God, do you want to call me to more rest? And what does that look like? And so, I want to put up an image on the screen, and I simply want to read the two scriptures that we've looked at today. I want you to allow the Word of God to wash over your soul, and I want you to look at this picture as an image of you with your Father. Listen to these scriptures. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of a mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. 
I've cultivated a quiet heart, like a baby content in its mother's arms. My soul is a baby content. Enjoy your day of rest.